When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phyllida Shrimpton's head is full of all manner of ideas, inspirations and stories. So what do you do when your head is packed full of all these different tales? You'd better write them down. Phyllida is now an author and her first book, Sunflowers in February, was released in February of this year to overwhelmingly positive reviews. But there is much more to the person than just simply being a writer. There is a burning desire to help people, particularly those suffering from homelessness and those with Asperger syndrome, for reasons that will become clear. The next two books she has in the pipeline will look to bring those two particular aspects to the forefront, but what actually makes her as a person? Where do the ideas come from? How does she piece them together into a story? And how vital is storytelling to society? Brought to you by Essex Live, this is Humans of Chelmsford, and this is Phyllida Shrimpton's story. Thanks, Phyllida, for coming on to our podcast and talking about your life and your story. So we'll start off with your Twitter profile bio which is something I don't often start with on podcasts, but I think is brilliant because you describe yourself as an author, a disastrous cook, a chaotic parent, disorganized wife, terrible giggler, and a survivor of writing a book from underneath a 60-kilogram Newfoundland lapdog. Yes. Now, I love all of those, <laughs> but we'll, we'll kick off with the writing aspect first, uh, and I'll give you a very vague question to start off with. Uh, and that is, what does writing and storytelling mean to you? It means um, that I can get all the words out of my head because my head is always full of words, descriptions, ideas. It just keeps going. It's like the washing machine. And um, writing means that I can get that out of my head. So how important then is storytelling? And reading stories as well for society, children, because it's always brought up as something incredibly important for children's development. I think it's essential. I'm a big reader. I used to work in a library. I'm a fan of children reading. I think it expands their imagination. I think it makes them more creative. I think it makes them more interesting to know. It makes everybody more interesting to know. My friend and I, we talk at length about the books that we've read 
and we often find ourselves googling things that are in books and learning more about something that's been mentioned in a book and just increasing our own um, personal sort of mission to educate ourselves. I think it's essential. You mentioned you have all these ideas floating around in your head. Is that something that's always been a part of you, that you've always had these creative things come to you? I think so, because I was told by my English teacher when I was at school, which was about 38 years ago when I was about 15, uh, I was told that one day she would walk into a bookshop and she would see a book written by Phyllida Shrimpton because I was so full of ideas. That's what she said. And that kind of brings me on perfectly to your book, which came out in February this year and is rather aptly called Sunflowers in February. Just give us a brief synopsis um, of the book, obviously without giving too much away, and and what it's about. Okay, the book is about um, a 15-year-old girl called Lily who finds out at the beginning of the book that she's died and she can see everybody, she can see their reactions and she's missing it. She wants to still be part of it she doesn't understand why she hasn't moved on to wherever dead people go, whether that's heaven or oblivion. She doesn't understand why she's trapped between life and death. And as the story evolves, she has an opportunity to live for one more time, a short period of time. And it's at the expense of somebody she loves, but we all want to live and she takes the opportunity and the story is about her finding her way to give back that opportunity and move on. Where does the inspiration for something like that come from? Do you draw it from certain bits of your life, your own life experiences? Sort of. The main inspiration came from when I was 15 and I had that dream. I woke up in the morning and I had dreamt that I died that I was trapped between life and death and I was myself, I was missing everything, I was missing my friends, my family, they didn't know I was there and I remember having this amazing feeling of sadness of it all being over so quickly and I found a way in my dream to use my sister's body, if you like, and live her life but I knew it was wrong because basically I'd sent her into oblivion so I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't stop myself doing it because how, at 15, do you give up on how wonderful life is? So that's why I wrote the book, actually, because I had this feeling from then on that life actually can be quite wonderful. And if we found that we had to give it up, what would we want to do with it? And how much would we suddenly love everybody and enjoy our food and, and just enjoy it? And that's why I wrote the story. Is that kind of something you'll see in, in society, that maybe people take life for granted a little bit? People definitely take life for granted. Um, I think it's so easy to just get carried away with what modern life throws at you. So it's so easy to be rushing rushing for work, rushing for school, spending all that time on your phone, just watching, flicking through TV, just just 
it's what people say, isn't it? You just never have the time to stand and stare and appreciate what's around you. Yeah, it's about often taking a step back and looking what's It's about around. taking a step back. It's about mindfulness, really. It's just having that moment to go, do you know what? I'm really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying what I'm eating. I'm really enjoying my friends. I'm really enjoying the holiday that I'm on. It's just about enjoying it. And I think sometimes it all happens so quickly that you, and you're so worried about what you're missing out on. You know, you haven't got enough money to buy that item of clothing or the holiday that you really want. And, and you're wasting what you've got. In terms of putting that idea onto paper, how difficult a process is that? Um, well, the story was easy because I dreamt the beginning, the middle and the end. So the actual framework for the story was easy. Uh, the reason it took me so long, I think, is because um, I did procrastinate. Which we're all guilty of. Which we're all guilty of. And I did think this is quite a hard project to start. And I knew if I started it and couldn't do it, then my dream to write this into a book and my teacher telling me that one day I would write a book I knew that bubble would pop if I couldn't do it so I kept procrastinating but the advantage of procrastinating is that I was also living my life so I was pulling out things that I had done in my life that I thought oh I can add that to my book and I kind of pieced or built it as a sort of in layers from things that I had done and in the end, I thought, I actually have everything I need to write this story now, so I need to stop being frightened of this failing. And I just put everything that I had done and the dream and created a story. And it's not that easy because you have to sort of, you go back and you look at it and you think, well, that's, maybe that's a bit rubbish or I've waffled on too long. And there was a section where I was so keen to write about how wonderful everything is. I included too many things, a hot air balloon ride and a climbing up a mountain and describing it and everything. It's kind of, I didn't have to describe it all in that detail. So you just kind of write it, then you pair it back, then you write a bit more, then you pair it back. After all that, that long process of putting it together, how does it feel in the end when you see it on a bookshelf? in a shop it feels great it, it's it, the moment when a publisher says they'll take it is really really exciting and it's like yes I did it I achieved my dream and here it is in a in a book on a shelf so yeah it does feel it feels really great and what's the, I mean the response I think has been pretty overwhelmingly positive does that really spur you on as well? Yeah, it does. I mean, you get... I've, I've lucky enough to have a lot of very positive reviews for people who see it for what it is. You know, it's, it is about mindfulness. It is about enjoying what you've got. Um, and it is quite, it's quite uplifting, but in a sad kind of way. When came the point um, in your life that you decided you wanted to be an author and you wanted to write these things down? Well, about 15 years ago, our friend said um, to us he would like to write a book. 
And I said, yes, so would I. I've been, you know, I was told I could write a book and I keep thinking I will write a book. Well, he wrote his book and his book got published and he's on something like book 10. And um, I didn't because I carried on procrastinating. (laughs) But I'd known for a long time that one day I would do it. One day I would turn it into a book. I knew that I would. I just had to just get over the fear of... Um, meeting my own challenge and seeing if I could succeed. So I I always knew that I wanted to do this from when I was 15, when I woke up and I thought that was such an amazing dream that would would one day make a book. And the actual moment where I thought, right, now I'm going to see, um, now I'm going to actually turn it into a book was when we came back from living in Holland and I didn't have a job because we'd gone to Holland for my husband's work and I wasn't working and I thought, right, now's the time. Is there a sense of it's now or never kind It's of thing? now or never, yeah. I can't keep saying to myself and other people, I'm going to write a book. I have to actually do it. So we'll turn on to sort of this next part of your Twitter bio uh, and this is the chaotic parent aspect <laughs> Um, would you think you're disorganised? How how do you interpret chaotic parent? I'm terribly (laughs) disorganised. I I have one child. I have two stepchildren. And I have one child of my own. And I absolutely adore her. I have loved being a parent and a stepmom, actually. But um, my stepchildren didn't live with me. But I have loved, loved, loved being a mum. But yes, I'm disorganised. So... I've had, um, I can remember we'd all been out and we were in the car and we'd, we'd come in and we'd got a takeaway and we're putting it all out at the dining room and somebody said, where's Rebecca? And I'd left her in the car, strapped in the car seat. Um, and another time I'd putting my daughter to bed and she said, but mummy, I haven't even had any tea yet. And I'd forgotten to feed her. Or... I burn the food um, or I've you know I've taken her out forgot to put any underwear on her when she was younger I just just am very disorganized but in a very loving way <laughs> I presume in terms of the food that's where disastrous cook comes in as really, well really really disastrous um, everybody knows it and everybody laughs at me And however hard I try, I can't get it right. (laughs) I just burn things. I I think I'm... I love food. I love eating out. And I admire cooks. I just... I don't know what it is. I read a recipe and I miss something out. I forget to put the oven on the right timer, so I burn it. I get distracted. I walk away. It's horrendous. It's really horrendous. Um, I made my mum a, a cake for Mother's Day once and it was like a polar mint. The, the middle of the cake stayed in the pan and the outside of the cake came out and I was just, I could see through the middle of it. I just can't cook. That's a great description of that cake. <laughs> it's the thought that counts at the end of the day. It's the thought that counts, <laughs> yeah. But my husband just goes, oh, tell me you're not baking. Because every now and again I think, no, I'm going to try. I am going to try, I'm going to do this, but it, it does go wrong. He just says, you know, there's a supermarket, you can always, you can always <laughs> buy it. <laughs> so, of course, in amongst all this 
disorganization there's also a lot of i think i get a sense of you actually wanting to help people because i'm going yes. to turn on to this asperger's aspect because your stepson of course has asperger's yes how is that like to deal with as as a stepmom and obviously he's what 26 years old now he's 26 years old now he was uh, six when i met him um and I, at the time, I didn't know a lot about Asperger's. I just knew that he had it, and I wanted to understand what that meant. So um, it was, this was obviously quite a few years ago now, so the best way to do any research then was to go to the library. Got a lot of books on it. I read up on it, and I just kind of seemed to get it, really. I just, just didn't find it that difficult to get. Um, as a stepmom, that can be quite difficult because... Um, Things, things can upset people with Asperger's that if you're not on the ball, you don't necessarily know what they are or how to react to them. So I know my stepson didn't like white vegetables, but I didn't know that at the time. We were trying to eat Chinese with water chestnuts and noodles and everything, and he was getting very, very upset about it. This was when he was young. So I think it's... It's just a case of what, learning what makes that person tick and it's no different from what makes anybody else tick. I'm just respecting what, what floats people's boat, really. And I, I don't see Asperger's as any different. It's, for your point of view, it's about understanding people and just the way they think differently. Yes. Is there a real trial and error in understanding how their brains work compared to everyone else's? There is a trial and error, but I think there's a trial and error with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody is different. People find different things funny. But things annoy people in different ways. And people with Asperger's, I don't really see it as much different. It's just perhaps maybe more of a surprise because the the... The social cues that we all kind of tend to get naturally, people with Asperger's don't always get those social cues. So you might have to sort of work a bit harder to explain the social cues and maybe keep explaining them. And before you became an author, there was a um, part of your life where you were helping uh, other kids with Asperger's at Rittle College, I think it was. Yes, at Rittle College. First off, how did you get into that and what, what did you get out of that in terms of a life experience and, you know, in terms of helping people? I absolutely loved it. So I was working, I'm qualified in human resource management with a postgraduate degree and I was working in the um, human resources office at Ritten. I wasn't enjoying it because I'm not really very good at it. Um, and... I just, I'm a bit of an outside person and I went into human resource management because I like working with people. But it's, for me, it's too full of rules and regulations and sometimes those rules and regulations are, they hinder people. They don't always help people. So while I was in the office, I was uh, interviewing a group of staff who work with students in the learning support centre and they all seem so relaxed um, and it's not, it's not without its problems, but 
they were a very decent bunch of people and I thought that's what I want to do. I actually want to help people rather than write contracts and tell people what they can't do. Um, so I just, I literally just walked across the college and asked if I could work in their team. It was a little bit easier back then. They had, a, they had an availability. They did have to interview for it. But um, they needed somebody to work with a boy with Asperger's in the uh, farm, on the farm and the agricultural side of the college. And um, he needed... He is very high-functioning Asperger's, but he needed a level of support because his, his personality was so wildly different from the other students who were doing that tough topic. And I said, well, I understand Asperger's. Yeah. So um, they took me on, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved the fact that, it, yes, he did need support, and it made his day easier if I was there to help explain to the other students why maybe he was different and why he struggled with things more than they did in, in certain aspects... Um, and we had quite a good relationship and um, the job meant that I would be out in the fields I'd be out with the animals uh, I would be outside and not stuck in an office which I'd always hated Exactly We talked a bit before we started recording about the book The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime and how that character in that book kind of brings Asperger's into light and gives people an understanding of the thought processes that go through their minds. Do you want to put a character with Asperger's in one of your books in the future? Yes, I do. Um, so I'm already thinking about my third book and I want to have a small group of teenagers and one of them I would like to have Asperger's because I... The people I've met with Asperger's, they are interesting. Um, they have aspects to their personality which I find um, totally interesting. And they can be, like my stepson is actually very funny. It, sometimes humour bypasses people with Asperger's. But um, my stepson is very articulate and he has a sort of quirky sense of humour. And... Um, and he makes me laugh. I find him, I find him funny. And I'd quite like to take the, the quirkiness of his character combined with sort of perhaps missing some of the social cues. I'd like to have him as one of the characters in my book. You mentioned your third book. And I'll move on now to the second book that you've second kind book, of got yes. in the pipeline. And it's based around homelessness. Yes. Homelessness <laughs> comes into it. It quite heavily so it's it's about a girl actually who has a massive row with her father and she goes looking for her mother and she doesn't want to go home and um, ends up meeting a small band of homeless people on the street and she learns about herself in this sort of amazing week that she has from leaving home to going back and there's various other characters involved but I've got um, I've got four main characters really who are homeless and um, 
I wanted to bring them to life in the book. So they do run all the way through the book. Uh, obviously, the main protagonist isn't homeless, but she kind of forces the issue. She finds herself homeless for a few nights in that week. And she learns more about the homeless people in this week. And I wrote about that because I want to try and raise awareness about the people that are on our streets. And obviously the podcast name is Humans of Chelmsford and homelessness is a big issue in Chelmsford right now, particularly yes. because of the death of Rob O'Connor three, four yes. weeks ago now. And there's an upcoming event this Saturday, 24th of March. This airs after that date. But where, a bu- where a group of veterans are sleeping rough on the yes. streets and you're involved I'm with going to that join as in. well. Yeah. Yes. Why do you think it was important for you to, to join in with that? Because I've been interested in homeless people and their backstory for years, actually. And obviously, I've just written this book where this girl meets four people on the street. I have interviewed a few people on the streets. I interviewed a guy in Cambridge and a guy in Chelmsford. And I just thought, if you're going to write about it, you need to do it. So, um, and I want to do it. I want, I want to support the cause for the veterans. I think it's an amazing cause. I think um, there's something like 7,000 veterans on the streets. Um, but there's also so many other people on the streets. So I just want to let people know that you don't have to be scared of homeless people. Um, they are, again, they are all different. They are all unique. They're there for a variety of reasons and nearly always through no fault of their own. And I wanted to put that in my book and bring these characters to life about why they're there to educate the people who are going to read the book. That's another aspect of, same as the Asperger's thing, is just trying to make people understand why rather than just looking at the face value of something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody's different. Everybody is different. Everybody, um, they like different things. They hate different things. They just and homeless people are no different. Disabled people are no different. People with Aspergers, they are no different. They are people who deserve to be um, given respect for for who they are and the life that they lead. And if they need some help, then give them some help if they if they they don't need help but they don't you know they they just want to be a member of society then don't see them as any different because they might have a disability or they don't have a house they're just people as well as when you're when you're storytelling in your books are those messages you kind of want to put in there to to get out to people is that quite a a nifty way of putting it across to people is giving someone to even though they might be fictional is someone to relate to I think so. Um, you know, I started off quite gently with Sunflowers in February. It's, that was just about having a life, really. You have a life. You've only got one. Um, try and enjoy it. Um, so I started off gently with that. Then I've moved on to this um, girl who thinks her life is a bit rubbish, but it's not as rubbish as she thinks it is. And she meets homeless people who have got a very interesting and not necessarily fun story to tell. Um, 
and I want to move on to Asperger's and I'd really like to write about disability um, I could just probably keep going because I think people have opinions they have they, they just draw opinions they draw opinions on how somebody looks how somebody's behaving um, somebody else's adversity they think it makes them better than that person and it doesn't sometimes we just have to look at ourselves Absolutely. And with that, we'd better wrap up this episode of the podcast. Okay, I just want to thank you, Philida, for coming on and talking to us about you know, writing, storytelling, something I obviously found incredibly interesting. I'm sure everyone else that's listening to this will as well. And we look forward to whatever storytelling and books uh, you bring to us in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you. Facebook, Twitter and on Instagram or go to our website essexlive.news Nu bij Tele2 de Huawei P20 Omdat het kan Voor een genadeloos lage prijs Check Tele2.nl voor de beste deal voor jou Ik omdat het mooi maar omdat het kan